This is District Sentinel Radio. It's that newscast of record. For the left, I am Sam Sachs. I am Sam Knight. And we're here broadcasting in Washington, D.C. Check out our website, districtsentinel.com. Got the garbage can coming out in just a little bit. Got the FOIA Follies to go over. We got do have some FOIA Follies this week. We do. We do. We do. The Follies are FOIA-based. In addition to uh, checking out our website, you can also follow us on Twitter at the DC Sentinel. You can no longer follow me on Twitter, though, at Sam Sachs. Many of our listeners who are on Twitter probably have noticed something strange with my account. It has uh, apparently been hacked by some crypto nerd. So, uh, and this happened Friday. Uh, So it's been a week. And despite repeated efforts to recover my account, Twitter has not replied to me at all. (laughs) Like just completely ignoring me. Um, I'm losing my mind a bit. Not quite to the level of of handcuffing myself to Twitter's headquarters yet, but I do have a little bit more sympathy for Laura Loomer. We'll just say that. Like, I, <laughs> I, I don't agree with her cause, but I do understand how you can achieve that level of, of, uh, losing control of yourself based on something that Twitter is doing. Uh, in her case, it was not justifiable at all because she's like Nazi garbage and was tweeting garbage. Uh, in my case, uh, this this is fucked up. This is kind of fucked up. And totally I, out of the blue. Yes, like, like it, it happened just completely randomly. Yeah, and I explained this on on the show on MMN. Like, I there was no phishing attempt. There was no and. Like, I have a pretty secure password, I thought. Like, it's not shared with any of my other stuff. I have two-factor authentication turned on, which was only useful to let me know that it's been turned off when it happens. <laughs> <laughs> so, wait, I, wait, 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 wait. I just, ha- I just have to pause for a second. So you don't, you can turn off two-factor authentication without two factors? I guess so. Like, I'm so confused by this. That's insane. And I, like, part of me, and, and again, I, I'm getting conspiratorial here, but it's like, maybe there's been some sort of leak at Twitter or something that, like, we know that their security team's been laid. Like, who knows what the fuck is going on over there? And the fact that I haven't even gotten a reply in a week makes me think that there's, like, lulls going on over there. That, like, people are laughing at Twitter over this well i do i do think it's very likely that one of the many people uh one of the many ex-twitter employees um who've been recently fired uh by elon musk it's it's possible that one of them you know just like told people on the dark web like what the twitter security exploits are and you know people are getting their revenge on elon for for you know for firing them and treating them so poorly i mean it's it could also be political i mean we've seen and you know not to preempt any discussion later in the show notably the garbage can um segment but yeah i mean we've seen shall we say selective enforcement of uh of the rules that have favored right-wing accounts especially far right-wing accounts and it seemed like there was no limit to that until last night when Kanye West finally <laughs> had his ban restored that even Elon Musk's Twitter uh, has its limits when Kanye is just like uh, tweeting swastikas and shit. Yeah. Hours after going on Alex Jones's show and saying, I literally saying I like Hitler. Yeah. I like this doesn't seem to be. Like I've seen this happen on other people's accounts before where it like gets taken over by some crypto loser and they start posting crypto and spamming. So Yeah, p- pictures of the lions and this, shit. Yeah, this seems to be like a pretty run of the mill sort of thing and you know, 
a more logical explanation is that like Elon has laid off most people at Twitter to where they can't even respond to tickets anymore. Yeah. But yeah, as we'll get into uh, later in the garbage can, there are some very nefarious things going on at the website. And it does seem like Elon Musk is trying to turn it into a Nazi party. But, uh, you know, I guess hopefully Twitter gets back to me in a few days and hopefully I get my account back. But part of me is just like over it, like fucking over it at this point. <laughs> yeah. Well, I-, I will say this, which is that whatever the cause for, um, you know, them not responding to your inquiry about the hack, uh, whatever that cause is, is that it does cause you reputational damage. Yeah. As yeah. A, as a journalist, like people are seeing that your your Twitter account has been taken over by a crypto bro and and has been compromised for a long time. You know, Twitter is also a, a private messaging platform, um, so that's not great. Basically, what we're saying is if you are a lawyer and you listen to our show and you want to take up a pro bono case that could get you a headline or two, we're thinking about suing Twitter. We are thinking about suing Twitter. There, I'll lay my cards on the table. Yeah. Yeah. I texted Sam Knight about I was texting with you about this the other night. <laughs> and uh, when I was like at my most manic about this, just like flipping out that I hadn't like heard from Twitter yet. Uh I was like, we should sue these motherfuckers. Um, but it, there is like something to it. You know, I can like obviously hacks happen, whatever hacks happen. But the fact that they haven't like done anything to restore it in a week is borderline net negligence. Yeah. And, you know, as I mentioned with you, makes me think purposeful. Um, and. Yeah, I, I'm a, I'm a quote unquote verified journalist on there. Obviously, I, I and I, I'm not really worried about it, anything in my DMs. I tend not to like. Uh, I don't like engage in any secure chat on my DMs, other than like bullshit banter with people. And honestly, if you know that shit got out there, I wouldn't care. But like, there's nothing in my DMs that I really care about. But it is reputational harm that like this person's been able to sift around and maybe other people who've DM me stuff like are, are a little bit uncomfortable with other people being able to see it. But there's, I, I know that like in the past Twitter has responded much faster to other accounts that get hacked, especially verified accounts. <laughs> um, so yeah, this, this seems pretty problematic. And if, if Elon Musk has, put the company into such a poor state that it can't respond to hacks on its user and correct users and correcting those, then that's, that is also negligence. Like that's also, I don't know. I'm not a lawyer, so I don't know what the hell it is. So, but uh, yeah, I'm not even interested in getting any money. I just want to, I just want to get your account back. It's, I don't even want to get my account back even more. I just want to (laughs) like, I have been wronged and I want it noted that it's been corrected. It's a, it kind of reminds me of um, how you have the right to sue a federal agency if they don't reply to your FOIA request within like 20 days. They obviously that doesn't stop them from stonewalling people. Um, but if they fail to do that basic bare minimum of responding to you and telling you that they're not going to get back to you for another two years, then you're able to go to a court and compel them to respond. And it actually also um, is sort of a good thing when they do that because it speeds up the process. Uh, basically, what I'm saying is I'm sure if you filed a lawsuit and like, you know, your prayer for relief or whatever was just like, <laughs> I should just restore my account and apologize, that would still be kind of cool, right? Like, <laughs> You get Elon Musk to uh, admit in a federal court that he fucked you, and uh, I, I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm just talking out of my ass here. I just I just want you to sue Twitter. Yeah, I just want yeah. you to sue Twitter. Yeah, my account. Which, did by get the way, which taken over. by the way, go ahead. I applied three times to have Sam Knight One restored, thinking that you know. Maybe Elon Musk would have some sympathy for me, a guy who got his account banned on the same day that he was blocked by Neera Tandon. Uh, that's the only real thing I can think of that may have le- led to my account um, 
getting banned, but <sighs> apparently not. And so, yeah, it, it, it could also both it could Sams also be are a, left hanging right now, right? And that could also be an issue of of them just like firing everyone left and right. But yeah, Twitter, um, it's a bit of a mess right now. And I understand why you wouldn't want to get your account back. Although, I mean, maybe you want to get it back and then just announce to everyone that you're um, you're hanging up your posting shoes. Because uh, it's kind of nice not being uh, mired in Twitter bullshit while the World Cup is going on. Yes, true. I mean, I have been lurking a bit on the Sentinel account just for news gathering purposes. <laughs> and uh, I did see some awful takes related to the Democrats breaking the railroad strike, which we'll get to in just a minute. But um, yeah. And I did want to put out a call on Twitter if anybody knew what that walkout song is that they play during the World Cup when the teams walk out, because um, it it bops. <laughs> I wanted to play it to get hyped, uh, and I googled it, and they gave me the wrong song. Like all this, all the results are not the song that they're actually playing at the stadiums. You can just kind of hear it over the TV broadcast in the background, but. Uh, so yeah, I've, I I um yeah, it's a mixed bag, I guess. I uh I would have found Twitter useful, um, but also, and I still need it for you know work, but I'm also watching a hell of a lot of World Cup, <laughs> which you should be, quite frankly. And I realize that this might make people a little uncomfortable here because, I mean, let's be real, FIFA is just like scam layered on scam you know some of the, one of the scummiest uh, uh entities in the world is evidenced by um you know some basic facts about this world cup being in qatar which don't really need repeating right now um listen to our uh, appearance on delete your account if you want to know more about what what i'm mentioning here um but i just think like I don't know, man. I, I, the, the FIFA makes my skin crawl and every World Cup, I'm like, I'm not going to care this year. I'm not going to care this year. Then the tournament gets closer and closer and I'm like, holy shit, it's another World Cup coming. I'm going to watch as much of this as I can. And, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. I just think that if you, can do it if your job lets you do it and it doesn't need to be an email job because like you know when i was working in restaurants um we would often just watch the champions league on a on a slow tuesday afternoon um which rocked but it just there's something about the world cup that just makes you feel so connected with the world i mean you can talk to you know you just connect on a human level to so many people instantly by knowing about what's going on. Um, you know, and, and I don't know, I just think it's something special about it. And, uh, if that's not enough for you, you can, uh, review the tweet from Clara Jeffrey from four years ago, where she complained about how so many people were watching the world cup. Well, now that the Americans have advanced to the knockout rounds, it's okay to watch oh, yeah. all the World Cup you want. I'm sure Claire Jeffrey is probably like tweeting about the World Cup and hooray for America now that they're in it. She's probably tweeting about how Qatar is great because there are no homeless people there or something. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, I, I, <laughs> too, I am... too much, too far. I think we're getting sidetracked here. We and, are. Uh, maybe we should uh, get into the news. Well, the news isn't so good this week. It's been particularly bad. And I would have probably melted down online several times over uh, what Democrats have been doing in regard to the the labor dispute on the railroads, where you have highly profitable rail companies that have made billions and billions and billions of dollars and have taken that money and enriched executives and shareholders with it while forcing their short staff crews to be on call 24-7, to not have paid sick leave, and to basically work in dangerous conditions. And that's been at the heart of this labor dispute 
that's been going on for years. And the companies have refused to negotiate with workers to give them paid sick leave. Because they've known all along that when it comes down to it, when the workers are about to strike, which they were about to strike next week, that Congress would swoop in and enforce a contract on them to break the strike. And that's what happened this week with President Joe Biden taking the lead on it, asking Democrats to pass legislation to enforce a contract on the 12 rail unions, four of which had just voted down that contract because it didn't include paid sick leave. Biden asked Congress to impose a contract on them so that they couldn't go on strike. He still can go on strike. We'll get to that in a second. But uh, Biden also asked for Democrats not to include any paid sick leave in this contract that they were going to enforce on the unions. And Democrats obliged on that. Biden has signed uh, the measure into law. Now, these workers could go on strike. They could go on a wildcat strike, but that could be extremely risky, especially with right-wing courts that uh, probably wouldn't hesitate to levy some penalties for quote-unquote illegal strikes. Maybe it's still worth it, though. I don't know. But uh, that's up to that's obviously up to the unions. Um just some really embarrassing stuff from progressives, though, during this whole thing. Because they were given a vote to include paid sick leave in the House. And Bernie Sanders had an amendment in the Senate to include paid sick leave uh, in this contract. But it was two separate things. First, there was the contract that was negotiated by the Biden White House and the unions and the rail companies. That was a shitty deal. That's one vote. They were going to enforce that contract. And then in a separate vote, they'd add paid sick leave. Now, if progressives decided to cause a huge commotion over this and fight for it and embarrass leadership over breaking a strike and build up pressure, then maybe it could have been included in one bill. You know, maybe House Democrats who control, you know, they control the chamber, they control the Senate. They said, if we're going to impose a strike, if we believe in paid sick leave, let's include it in the one contract. But Pelosi and House leadership and Senate leadership agreed with Biden, separated the bills, and the Senate defeated the paid sick leave. So at the end of the day, the only thing that passed was the shitty contract that are now forced on rail unions. And Ted Cruz, of all people, Ted fucking Cruz, who you can't, he's not pro-worker in any way. Ask him what he thinks are right to work laws. Like the guy can't be trusted to defend workers at any point. But the fact that Biden is sticking his neck out to break a strike allows Ted Cruz and other Republicans to say, oh, well, this is fucked up what Biden's doing. You know, I support workers in this. So Ted Cruz voted for the paid sick leave, which then failed. And then he voted to reject the measure. He writes, he tweets, quote, I believe the rail workers are making reasonable requests that should be adequately addressed. For that reason, I voted to increase the number of paid sick days for rail workers. Unfortunately, the Senate rejected the measure, so I opposed the final deal. Now, of course, Ted Cruz is not being genuine here. If if there was a chance that the paid sick leave was going to pass, he wouldn't have voted for it. Neither would the five other Republicans who ended up voting for it because there was no chance it was going to pass. But Ted Cruz can say that he voted for paid sick leave and against enforcing the contract. You know who can't say that? Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Ilhan Omar, Jamal Bowman, who all voted to enforce the shitty deal on the rail unions that had just voted against it. They all supported it. Their names will be in the congressional record having supported legislation to break a strike. And I've seen some people try to explain this strategy. AOC logged on and said, well, I was just doing what the unions wanted me to do. And she mentioned some local grocery store union that she talked to, which isn't involved here. But also when she says unions, what does she mean? Does she mean the union leadership that negotiated this bad deal and stuck it with the workers who had to reject it? Because she doesn't mean rank and file workers because I'm seeing... Lots of posts and interviews with rank and file workers who feel feel pretty fucking betrayed right now. 
Yeah. Yeah, I, I you know, I have to admit that I was not um actually following uh the vote all that closely because I've been following um the aftermath of the FTX collapse, which I'll get into uh in a second. And I also had World Cup games on in the background, so <laughs> my my attention could only be stretched uh so many ways. I would say that I was a little bit like I was feeling a bit cowardly in terms of like I don't know who's right here, uh, but after hearing your rant, uh, I think you make a very convincing case that the uh, course of action taken was uh, not great, and uh, they they argued that you know they didn't have the votes to stop a deal, and so they set up that two vote you know charade just to let them save face or whatever or to give them a say and you know if you don't have the vote to stop the deal anyway just vote no yes Rashida Tlaib voted no a bunch of other Democrats voted no in the Senate Bernie Sanders voted no Elizabeth Warren voted no because they didn't want to have their vote attached to legislation that was going to break a strike no matter what the broader strategy is or whatever deal you cut with Nancy Pelosi where, oh, we'll let your amendment come to the floor, but you have to support this overall bill. I don't know, man. I like, I don't know what the, uh, yeah, like, I guess there are, you know, there are people drawing larger conclusions about you know what this means when you have DSA endorsed candidates that then vote to break a strike like what that says about about DSA well yeah about DSA but like about the victories in general like cuz those were kind of heralded as big electoral victories for the organization right and it's like how big of victories are they if the people you sent to congress can't do this like basic minimum thing <laughs> like don't vote yeah, for bill to a break point. a strike and i'm not saying that yeah, like I... electoralism is dead we shouldn't do anything about it but some Let's people who are discussion yeah some people who are pretty hurrah about it should like it should give them some pause yeah it's indefensible yeah the the the, the people who cite the same uh lenin essay about uh, you know left-wing communism being an infantile disorder or whatever, therefore uh, support Nancy Pelosi's leadership <laughs> in the house. Well, this um, was, this was an instance where like the, the sort of, and, and they're not really competing. Like you can do both at the same time. Like you can invest in, especially at a local level running anti-capitalist candidates trying to win races and even, you know, up the ladder, trying to get members of Congress elected who buy into your project. Um, then on this other side, you've got like an organizing wave happening that DSA is getting involved in, uh, working with some of these kind of burgeoning union, union movements at these massive chain stores and at a lot of other places. And this was a situation where they were kind of in contradiction to each other, where you had your DSA endorsed candidates taking votes that harmed the union movement, mm-hmm. which is, I don't know, yeah. Yeah, like uh, that's, a, that's a bad situation to be in. Uh, I guess there's now pressure building on Biden. The unions are turning to uh, pressure Biden individually because through executive action, he can insist that the railroad companies provide their workers with seven days paid sick leave or however many paid sick leave because uh, that's a, a rule for federal contractors right now. Railroads are exempted from that rule. Uh, Biden could change that with his autograph on a piece of paper. Um, <laughs> he could do that shit tomorrow. So nice. we'll, we'll see what he does. <laughs> So so what you're saying is this whole argument could have been obviated by Biden stepping in and being like, actually, you do. I mean, I guess you could argue that the next president, the next Republican president would take it away. Yeah. Yeah. You want to get they? that secured in a contract. And also what this does is it ensures that the railroad companies will further not negotiate 
when the next contract comes up. Yeah. 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 Uh, not good. Not good. Um, yeah. I mean, m- maybe the argument from the house, um, progressives or whatever is that, um, they didn't know that <laughs> it would be voted down in the Senate. Well, well I prob- probably should have. Yeah. And the progressive caucus did post this tweet saying 43 Senate Republicans voted against giving railway workers seven days of paid leave. Yesterday, 207 Republicans in the House voted against it. It is outrageous and should put an end to any debate about whether Republicans care about working people. They don't. Okay, but who initiated all this? Who started all this? Joe Biden didn't have to break the strike, right? Joe Biden didn't have to insert himself to prevent workers from using the only tool they have to get a fair contract, which is a strike. But he did. And not only did he insert himself, the instructions he gave to Congress were specifically, don't change the deal that I negotiated that did not include paid sick leave. Don't change it. Don't add paid sick leave. There's no time. Don't do it. So of course, Republicans are going to vote against it. Like, And Joe Manchin's yeah. going to vote against it. Democrats voted against it too. And it was Democrats who decided to split the bills up to allow them to do something like that. So the Progressive Caucus is that, and by the way, Pramila Jayapal also voted for the, uh, for the legislation to enforce the contract. So she broke the strike too. Disgraceful. Disgraceful. Yeah. Well, All not right. to get too sidetracked here, but I will say that uh, if you are still... Uh, citing that Lenin essay to, um, you know, argue for entryism and you're citing it even though it was written before decades of, uh, you know, uh, Western labor unions uh, doing the bidding of of capitalist bosses and in, in various capitals throughout the North Atlantic, then I don't fucking know what to say to you other than you're trying to preen and look like a radical online Um <laughs> Because there, that essay makes good points, but there are also counter arguments that one can make. And you look at U.S. labor unions time and time again, uh, rejecting radical action in in favor of preserving what little status they have and and clinging to bread and butter issues. And um, yeah, anyway, sorry, I'm getting well, red in the face well, here. Yeah, well, I mean, one last thing is that you know it's it's sometimes often like a right wing talking point that union bosses don't have their members' interests uh, in mind. Uh, But it is absolutely true that workers are becoming radicalized much faster than union leadership is. And that's changing with um, some elections that are happening, particularly at the UAW, where you have more radical-minded people being elected to leadership positions. So that's something that might... You saw it at the Teamsters as well recently. Yeah. So that's something that might change fast. Um, but you do have this leadership that's more attached to the Democratic Party, which is no longer a party interested in labor, but a party that's interested in sort of upper middle class donors. And uh, that that is no longer able to cater to the needs of an increasingly more radical worker base. And something has to give there. And... Uh, whether that's these new leaders coming into unions that are willing to take more radical action, which means cutting ties with the Democratic Party that isn't responsive to them at all and trying to build some something new, some new electoral vehicle. I guess, that remains to be seen, but that'd be kind of cool, I guess. Moving on, disgraced FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried had a public speaking appearance this week, his first since the spectacular collapse of his cryptocurrency exchange, which was once valued at $32 billion. Of course, it went bust in a matter of days last month, with billions funneled into risky financial bets made through a hedge fund that he also co-founded called Alameda Exchange. Bankman-Fried Skyped into the New York Times DealBook conference on Wednesday, which, by the way, costs $2,500 to attend, and it's a price tag which helps explain why the Times coverage of FTX and crypto in general has been uh, really poor over the years, just kind of deferential to the industry. 
In the interview itself, Bankman-Fried denied that he knowingly gave Alameda Research his customers' money, which, again, is missing in the billions, with (laughs) over a million creditors making claims on the company. He also noted in a previous interview that he deliberately set up the company so that deposits were made to Alameda, so it's pretty clear that he's probably lying here. If not, this is probably criminal negligence, or at least it should be. But when asked about his own criminal liability, Bankman-Fried said, quote, the real answer is, that's not what I'm focusing on. You'd say that he should, except he's kind of right that it's usually not an issue for politically connected rich guys, such as himself, a major donor uh, to both political parties, but his donations to the Democratic Party in particular have uh, received significant attention uh, in recent weeks. Bankman-Fried actually hit out at this criticism that uh, he's closely tied to the Democratic Party uh, because he also donated a lot to the Republican Party. He said at the uh, interview, the the deal, the Times Dealbook interview, that he gave just as much to Republican candidates, though he did it through dark money channels because journalists are uh, lean liberal and they would hound him about his donation to a party, which he didn't describe it like this, but I am. It's increasingly moving to the far right. Uh, For him, it's just the cost of doing business. Uh, You might not want to take the word of a guy who likely committed a billion-dollar fraud. Maybe you're saying, hey, maybe he didn't actually donate this much. He's just trying to get Republicans to, uh, to lay off him a little bit. Well, in this case, there is a money trail. Bankman Freed gave $2 million to a PAC called GMI, which then gave $2.8 million to an entity called Crypto Innovation, which gave $3.2 million to Republican candidates. Crypto money is flowing to both sides of the aisle. The likely result of this is that there will be no meaningful push for regulation from Congress in the wake of the collapse. More on that in our FOIA Follies section coming up shortly. The Supreme Court will take up Joe Biden's student debt relief program which essentially puts the program still on hold for another several months. Oral arguments are scheduled in February. A decision probably won't come until June, which is good that last month the White House extended the student loan repayment pause, which was expected to be uh, started up again at the new year. But since he doesn't have his uh, debt relief program uh, in place, or at least it's currently on hold by the courts, People shouldn't have to be paying back their loans. So that's been extended till at least June. I don't know. I'd say that while the uh, this interim period, while the Supreme Court hears this case, uh, Biden should just recreate the program with a stronger legal authority, cancel everybody's debt, and cause chaos. Yeah. That'd be the smart Fuck it. move. Go, uh, go Dark Brandon or whatever, whatever they say he does but actually doesn't do. We're starting to see the direct impact of higher interest rates. The prominent Wall Street investment firm Blackstone, not to be confused with its much larger competitor, BlackRock, stopped processing client withdrawals this week from a real estate fund which is worth $125 billion, according to the Financial Times. It's unclear what the full implications of this are as of recording time. It might have no broader impact, but you can expect to hear more of these stories of debt-dependent enterprises entering choppy waters because of the Fed's aggressive rate hikes. And when enough of them happen, rest assured, talk about labor market implications will become unavoidable. Is it time for FOIA Follies? It is It is indeed time for the Follies. The, the FOIA-based Follies. As foreshadowed, this week's request involves FTX and the Commodity Futures Trading Commission. But before I get to the actual meat of the request, allow me to meander for, I don't know, about 10 minutes or so. Sam Bankman-Fried and other crypto industry figures have been lobbying for the CFTC to have jurisdiction over cryptocurrency in a move that would wrest power from the Securities and Exchange Commission should their desired legislation pass Congress. The SEC has six times the enforcement resources as the CFTC does. It also has a reputation for being much more aggressive than the CFTC, hence the push by industry sleaze like 
Bankman-Fried. At the heart of the issue is to what extent cryptocurrency tokens are either commodities or securities. Now, one key difference between the two is that a security is something that derives its value from work being done by an enterprise on its behalf, whereas a commodity merely derives its value from being a good that can be bought or sold, uh, such as corn, oil, wheat, etc., with an inherent value uh, that doesn't necessarily come uh, directly from an enterprise. You know, you can obviously you can pick a, an ear of corn from the ground and it has value. Anyway, this is to say that most crypto tokens are definitely securities. They have no inherent value. They're dependent heavily on promotion and on whatever special attributes the issuers claim to have imbued these tokens with. And if you've ever seen the crypto bros go to work on social media running their pump and dump schemes, you know this is true. Crypto mostly derives value from carnival barking, and this is more or less the SEC's position. Bitcoin, it says, is a commodity because it's well-established, and uh, you know a single actor can't really influence the price of it unless, of course, you bought a ton of it and you know dumped it, but that's a different thing altogether. You can do that with uh, oil, too, per se. I, I, I'm getting sidetracked here. The point is, most cryptocurrencies are securities, and the industry is desperate to get legislation passed to undercut this position, which, again, the SEC believes, by empowering the CFTC. If you're looking for an example of the carnival barking, just check out my Twitter account. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Maybe we should file a a public comment with the SEC, just affirming its position here by by citing the hack. (laughs) The apes have come for us. For real. All your apes might be gone, but they're over here. (laughs) They're over here messing with us. Anyway, the... Head of the CFTC, Commissioner Rostin Benham, denied all of this on Thursday when testifying before the Senate, the uh, Agriculture Committee, to be exact. That's the uh, committee with jurisdiction over the CFTC. Benham also hit back at criticism that he was looking to get more power and prestige for his agency at the expense of people getting screwed over by the FTXs of this world. He also criticized people, calling the industry-backed legislation as being written and pushed solely by FTX, saying that other stakeholders were involved, as if this wasn't part of the problem, being deferential to all kinds of industry people. But in an exchange with Tina Smith, Minnesota Democrat, Benham appeared to concede that the SEC is better suited to clamp down on financial crimes. Take a listen. So exchanges and firms that buy and sell stocks and commodities are required to keep their company money um, separate from their customers' money. They can't gamble with their customers' money like it's their own. That's correct. Correct. And is that required of crypto exchanges right now? No. And does any federal agency have enforcement authority to require that? I believe that the Securities Exchange Commission has authority. Okay. When a firm is being paid by their customers to give advice on how to invest their money, they are required to put their customers' interests first, not their own business interests. That's their fiduciary responsibility. That's correct, right? Correct. And is that required of crypto exchanges right now? No. And does any federal agency have enforcement authority to require that? Again, and I'll clarify my previous response with respect to the SEC over security tokens only, not commodity tokens. Right. This is where the gap exists between us and the SEC. But based on my understanding and hearing from the, uh, the chairman himself that they do have the authority to police this market. Smith continues giving more examples of the SEC having existing authority to go after bad actors in crypto. The subtext being that the agency would be emboldened to use these powers if not for the CFTC muddying the waters here about what is and isn't a security. And in a later exchange with anodyne centrist Michael Bennett, Democrat from Colorado, Benham again accidentally shed light on why the industry wants to empower his agency. You know, one curiosity I have and a thing that's given me pause is just thinking about why FTX would have lobbied so hard for a bill that it, it could never comply with. Do you have any insight into that at all? Um, 
Senator, I, I, I've thought I'm about sure that. you've thought of that. I've thought about that myself, um, and it, you kind of hit the nail on the head, right, because I, I can't speak to what Mr. Bankman-Fried or anyone at FTX was thinking when they were advocating for regulation, but the, the remarkable thing is to think about it in the context of compliance. Well, I think I can speak to what they were thinking, that the bill grants the CFTC rulemaking powers, which could be watered down in the regulatory process, and that the agency doesn't have the resources or experience that the SEC has on enforcement, so FTX had nothing to fear by the time the law's rules actually went into effect, and that regulation is coming either way, so may as well make it industry-friendly and watered down, you jackwagon. Ironically, Benham and many other industry-friendly lawmakers are now trying to fearmonger by telling colleagues to support their FTX-backed reform efforts or another FTX will happen. In reality, it seems like they want to ram this through because they know this is industry-friendly and that more scandals and more calls for regulation are imminent. On that point, here was Dick Durbin, Illinois Democrat. I've heard some of my colleagues say, we got to move on this fast. We've got to be the leader in the world when it comes to cryptocurrency. I don't know if they're saying that now as they did a month ago. So without further ado, let's get on to the actual request. The Wall Street Journal recently reported that FTX had hired a former Senate staffer and a former CFTC chair to lobby the agency on the company's behalf to push the reforms that uh, Benham has been defending here on this segment. The chair was Christopher Giancarlo, head of the agency for some time under President Trump. The staffer was Eliora Katz, a former aide to finance industry slug Patrick Toomey. I'm going to ask the CFTC for correspondence between these two and various officials. Get them. Get them emails. I'll try. Interns, get that garbage can and bring it out here. Mm. Yep, that's all the uh, last of the leftovers from Thanksgiving in there. Ooh, got that oyster stuffing. Doesn't hold up well. Does not hold up well at all. No, I, I would say not. Actually, is that even gross as hell? Is that cranberry? Uh, that doesn't look like cranberry sauce anymore. I don't even know what that is. Ah. Ah. Ooh, ah. Green bean casserole. Ooh, it's rancid. <laughs> 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 All right, that's good. Interns, right there. Garbage can at number one. Uh, it's Elon Musk. It's always Elon Musk. So, uh, we had touched on this at the top of the show about how it really is starting to seem like Musk is turning Twitter into a Nazi party. And uh, The Intercept reported that he's apparently getting content moderation orders directly from fascist propagandist Andy Ngo. Hmm. Longtime listeners of the show know who Ngo is. <laughs> he's basically... Uh, uh, pretends to be a journalist in order to uh, dox anti-fascists and protect various far-right organizations. Yeah, he uh, embedded with a bunch of far-right shitheads before they attacked a bar in uh, Portland, which uh, really put him on the radar of uh, people who, you know, get beat up by fascists. Yeah, perhaps most famous, though, for getting a milkshake thrown at him and claiming it caused brain damage. <laughs> and never releasing the scan, being like, I have a brain hemorrhage. And even when dumbass uh, Joe Rogan had him on the show and gave him a, a friendly platform, he was like, brain hemorrhage, huh? Like, he clearly didn't believe it. No, no. Anyways, here's what The Intercept reported. Quote, no, asked Musk to suspend the Crime Think account calling it an Antifa collective and falsely claiming that the group had claimed a number of attacks within hours of no's requests to Musk without citing any specific violations of policies. Twitter suspended the crime think account. Just want to let people know that uh, sophomore year 
Sam in high school would be very upset to hear that the crime thing Twitter account has been suspended. <laughs> it's fucked up either way, whether whether you read it or not. If you're on the left, you should be not jazzed about this. No, not at all. Story goes on to say, quote, after the crime thing suspension, no claimed with typically wild and incorrect hyperbole that the group operates like ISIS, makes propaganda and training material to radicalize militants toward violence. He also complained that a dozen affiliated accounts had not yet been suspended. Three days later, almost all of the additional accounts no pointed to had also been suspended by Twitter. Huh. Wow. Funny how that works. Elon Musk uh, just handing it over to a straight-up fascist piece of shit. But, I mean, we knew that when he took over anyway, so I guess this is just the uh, natural, uh, a natural conclusion. Yeah, I guess it's a race to see what can happen first, the company going bankrupt or it turning into Parler or whatever the uh, latest right-wing social media website is. Could go either way. Garbage can number two, it's Joe Biden for uh, breaking a strike and not even trying to improve the labor contract for workers while breaking a strike. In fact, actively lobbying against it. I think we've said all all we had to say about Joe Biden at the top. Yeah. Uh, Is there anything left to say? I mean... He it, it, he's doing it as the sappy as a pro labor president. I am breaking a strike. This <laughs> is <laughs> peak Democrat. Uh, garbage candidate number three. You mentioned this also at the top. The House Progressive Caucus, which is running cover for Joe Biden by blaming Republicans for the failure of paid sick leave, even though Joe Biden was actively lobbying against paid sick leave, dispatching Pete Buttigieg and Marty Walsh to Capitol Hill to pressure Democrats to pass this fast, as in pass the clean bill. Don't get don't get sidetracked trying to get paid sick leave. We'll fight for that another day. Garbage candidate number four, Kanye West and his crew of Nazis and fellow enablers He's just, they're going straight up Nazi now. Uh, yeah. Like, I like, like fully, cle- fully. Clearly this dude's ill and it's now reached a point where like I could see I, I, this, this might not end well. Like Kanye West might become a mass shooter. Like, I don't know what the fuck, like the things he's saying are things that like mass shooters say online before they go out and do mass shootings. Of course, he's being able to say it on the biggest platforms because uh, Republicans have embraced him since he made his heel turn to the right. And people like Alex Jones know that he brings in views, so they bring him on his show because ultimately they're simpatico, their ideas. Alex Jones might be a little uncomfortable with Kanye being so... Uh, upfront about it, not being subtle enough about it. You know, it's fine to, it's fine to espouse Nazi ideology. Just don't call it Nazi ideology. Don't say that Hitler did this. And then Kanye's like, I like literally, Hitler. I, I love literally Hitler. Literally the one thing, the one thing you're supposed to not say is that Hitler was good. Yeah. <laughs> Kanye's like, actually, I think he was good. What's up? Which brings us to garbage candidate number five, the GOP House Judiciary Committee, the members of the committee, uh, or whoever runs their Twitter account, I should say, they finally deleted that tweet, that two-month-old tweet that just said, Kanye, Elon, Trump. (laughs) I mentioned on the morning show that this is kind of like the, uh, this would be like if they put three football players on the Madden cover. Just a total curse of what happened after they put uh, those guys on the tweet. You know, we Musk went on to be forced to buy Twitter and nearly bankrupt the company. Trump had the awful midterms that pretty much cost Republicans the Senate. And uh, Kanye has gone full Nazi, full anti-Semite. The tweet persisted for months, though, as this was happening. 
It was only when Kanye went on Alex Jones's show to say, I like Hitler, the Nazis were good, that they finally deleted the tweet. But this was, the, and this was also after several other pro-Hitler uh, yes. statements, like well, reported pro-Hitler statements, you know, reported pro-Hitler statements, and uh, Kanye did explicitly say he was going to go DefCon three on the Jews, and the tweet stayed up, uh-huh. and uh, he did, yeah, he did start talking about like how all the Jews are keeping him down, so he was, you know, being pretty anti-Semitic for months. It was only until he said, I like Hitler, the Nazis were good, that that they finally deleted the tweet. All right. Garbage cannon number six. Switching it up a bit. The Pentagon, which failed its fifth straight audit last month. Hopes to be able to pass an audit sometime in 2027. Yeah, same. <laughs> <laughs> 2027 baby all right it's happening for us we're making moves 2027 this audit thing came from a, a legislation passed i believe in the bush era was it the bush era or there was some legislation that was like okay every federal agency including actually i think that anyway sorry i'm getting a little sidetracked here basically the point is the pentagon was supposed to be audit ready by like 2017 or 2018 Ten more years, baby. Ten more years. Who are we throwing in? Who's going in the garbage can? Who are we throwing in? It's basically Nazis versus strike breakers here in the garbage oh, can. Uh, and it. It, it seems like obvious we should throw the Nazis in. But let's not forget that strike breakers enable Nazis. They certainly do. Hmm. Not to mention that. Kanye West is a bit of a clown and I'm not saying that people shouldn't take this seriously. Yeah. I'm just saying like the president broke a strike. The president of the United States is breaking a strike. Maybe we should just throw him in the garbage can then. Let's do it. Joe, Joe Biden, Biden, you're going in, in the, the garbage, garbage can. can. Oh, 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 you're, you're on the Amtrak train to the garbage can. Shithead. That's the show. We're taking away your train pass, dog. It's going in the garbage can and we're incinerating it. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. We got some World Cup to watch. We're here in DC, so you don't have to be. 